0: Hello and welcome to Geeks with Shields, your home for all things good and nerdy in this The Darkest Timeline. I'm Lord Commander Ulrich, and with me is always... His shield, brother. Axel right? How's it going today, man? It is okay.
1: I was taking uh, a nap that kind of got away from me, so I'm a little groggy right now, but I should be feeling better here in a second.
0: I swear that naps are one of those few pleasures we have as adults that we never truly realize.
1: Well... Yeah, I guess. I started taking naps more frequently once I got to college. Of course, back then it was, you know, I'd come home from a morning calculus class and sleep in my dormitory couch for like two hours before I had to go to max class,
0: so... I'm just saying, there's nothing like a good nap.
1: Yeah, I mean, when, it depends on how long it is, I suppose. So Yeah, anyway. you gotta scale it
0: in. But that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about nerdy stuff. And we're also here to talk about the people that let us, you know, make this nerdy stuff. Those are our wonderful, wonderful patrons. They are Pam Galley, Markey, Orion McCann, Chris Chipman, River Galley, Krug, and Elmquest, and Reed D., now, if you'd like to join that illustrious Legion, just head on over to patreon.com forward slash shield. It only costs you 25 cents an episode, and every dollar helps.
1: And we're here today to throw our two cents into a conversation that, okay, we're a little late to, I suppose, but you know, at the same time, it was pretty topical right now, which is, you know, Game of Thrones is over. Ooh, so retrospective or review of the last episode, combination of the both, something like that.
0: A little bit of catch up from our last episode because we said we'd probably do one. And I think this season has been eventful enough that we can make an episode out of it. And there might be a few leftovers that we didn't get to last time.
1: OK, so I'd say that, you know, obviously this is going to be a spoiler heavy, you know, episode because we're not going to really hold back. So if for some reason you haven't seen the whole series yourself and plan to, you know, go, go do that before you listen to us. I'll say before we get into it, very general feelings. I was fine with season eight. I was fine with the last episode. I think that the whole thing could have been better, but I'm not overly upset or anything like that. I, it, It's fine. It works for me.
0: Yeah, the internet really hated this season. I mean, Twitter became 10 times worse than it normally is Sunday night.
1: Yeah, I believe that.
0: And no, I'm kind of with you. I think it had its flaws, but I still enjoy it overall.
1: So that's our general feeling. So now go make sure you're in capability of listening to spoilers mode and then and then come back. And, or, you know, if you're really going to be really, really emotional about it. Well, now you know that we're not. So sorry.
0: <laughs> yeah, I feel like the book wankers came out in force. To lend their voice to, see, we were right all along. they are total hacks without the books, which, okay, brief tirade aside, what call it. That is the dumbest thing I think I've heard about this show ever. The critique that uh, Benioff and Weiss were useless hacks when they didn't have the books to go off of, even though some of the best character developments and story plots have been made whole cloth from the book. Part two, let me hand you the books... And say, okay, make a series. How well is that going to work out? It's not copy-paste. And God, that is disrespectful at the very least.
1: I feel like most of the problems that have been in the post-book era don't come from a I don't know how do I put this? Don't come from a necessarily issue in writing but an issue in uh, um, time. Like, I mean, Season 8's biggest problem was that it's only six episodes long you extend up to a full 10 episodes. Like there, there's only one decision that occurs in the whole season that I was, that I have a lot of problems with. Basically every other decision is like, I just would like to see that fleshed out more, you know? So you like, know. Exam, example, right. One of the big ones people have been talking about, and I've seen plenty of people already give this take, but the whole Daenerys becoming the mad queen concept, right? Like, and yes, I know foreshadowing isn't the same thing as character development, blah, blah, blah point is that the decision for her to do that and you know burn people is to me not a bad decision i just would have liked to see an episode or an episode and a half more build up to it like you know dedicated to it and that's just a problem with having a shorter season
0: and let's kind of talk about that because i've given that some thought and of course there's a lot of dumb takes flying around the best one being they wanted to rush off and do star wars which when you look at the whole math of everything that that's not how that happened.
1: Well, I find that star Wars is a funny example of this, but people who are really attached to, you know, these, these properties, these mediums will jump into theories without understanding even the smallest bit about how the business actually works. Remember like there's the whole people having the conspiracy that, you know, uh, they're gonna you know disney's got to bring back why is his name suddenly escaping me the director from force awakens oh abrams yeah like yeah. we gotta bring back abrams to fix the problems that ryan johnson made it's like no you dumbass if you look into how the actual mechanics of how the business is run like that just doesn't make any sense it's not feasible for like what times people were doing what directing what times certain decisions were made it's like that's just not what has happened what went down and you can only make those kind of statements if you don't actually look into what kind of decisions the company behind you know the director and stuff have been making so same thing with game of thrones right it's like yeah you can that's an easy narrative to get behind like oh i don't like this season uh and the writers are going after this big pro- product, and there's the, that must be why. But it's like, well, if you look at the actual timings of how that works out, that doesn't really pan. It doesn't pan out.
0: No, and there's other factors like the actors have been doing this for almost a decade, and they want to do other things. The showrunners have been doing this for almost a decade, and they want to do other things. And there's the fact that they spent a year just shooting this season, and there was 55 consecutive. Uh, night shoots for the Battle of Winterfell it was getting to a point like they're not going to be able to do this on the budget and in the time that we want it to it's just not feasible. It's either got to, to be a lesser product and you're going to get more or it's going to be this big, grandiose thing and they're going to do it in a condensed budget. But either way, I just don't think it was feasible to get both. I mean, they yeah. could have done 10 episodes, but you wouldn't But the Battle of Winterfell would have been way scaled back. It wouldn't have been the big thing. So much would have been cut and reduced just because it's not feasible to film it that way. And again, I honestly think it came down to it was a group decision of they're tired of doing this. They want to do other things. The actors are like, hey, listen, I want to go off. And do other things. I mean, Sophie Turner is set to be a legitimate, you know, Hollywood star, and she can't keep booking up a year of her time to film Game of Thrones when people are going, hey, do you want to be in the Sexman? Hey, do you want to be in this? Hey, do you want to be in this?
1: I, I would say that I would prefer, because if you look back at the history of Game of Thrones, their budget for a regular 10 episode season always allowed for one episode that was like the big and over the top one. So I would leave the Battle of Winterfell as the big over the top one, but I would scale down. Like the sacking of king's landing and stuff like that because you don't really need to see I've, it feels less important to me as far as like big scale action does than dealing with the night kings the white walkers have always been like a good place for the budget to go you know
0: i agree and you also got you know factors like what is the actor's pay scale at this point because i think uh lena heady made almost a million dollars on this mm. so it's it's getting to the point that it is getting massively out of hand and they just kind of had to figure out okay we want to get this to an end how do we rein this in and maybe we would have been better off with 10 seasons actually probably 10 episodes would have been better but i'm okay with the end product because i just i don't think it could have been done i well, yeah, think this like has was gotten so is big and so out of control
1: I'm, that's what i was saying. like i'm generally fine with what has went down i just think you know yeah could have been better for a lot of reasons but what actually happened isn't bad So I will I will say up front, though, the one decision that has really bothered me the more I thought about it is for anyone right who's, of course, you've either seen the ending or you don't care. Uh, At at the end, the person who, quote unquote, wins the Game of Thrones uh, is Bran Stark gets chosen as the king. And that there's so many reasons why this doesn't work for me and me and my my girl were talking about it afterwards and thinking about it. And there is a choice that fit the kind of rules that they had established that is so much better than Bran. It's just not... Anyway, like, that's yeah. the one cho- choice. Like, every other choice that they've made throughout season eight, I'm like, uh, the, the worst thing I could say is, oh, I would have liked to see more time for that. That, But that's the one choice that I was like, this, is, this doesn't work for me for a lot of reasons.
0: Yeah, so we'll circle back. Let's kind of start from the beginning with the first couple episodes, which... I really like, you know, they're building up the tension at Winterfell, and everyone was bitching that they're taking too long. Why aren't they battling yet? And oh, God. Sorry, I got a lot of baggage with That's the fans this season.
1: I didn't see that. I didn't start seeing real criticisms until episode three, because like, the first two episodes, I think, are just like, legitimately solid all around, especially episode two, which is like fucking great
0: yeah so. no this really started good there was a couple people going i want the battle of Winterfell." they only have six episodes why are they wasting time on character development
1: funny because i feel like game of thrones generally historically has been the opposite where it's like yeah the main reason to come to the show is well actually you know it's the comic book principle right where it's like any action is just frosting it's a cherry the the real reason that you come to something like these are for characters so i don't know who you heard saying that but i think they're morons okay no offense to any viewers who actually thought that way i I was just being facetious. If you, you know, were if you were feeling that way, okay, power to you. But I was like, yeah, I wonder if it was going to be cool. But I just want to see, you know, Brienne chilling with Jamie, like these kind of character developments. Like the the nighting moment was probably the best moment of the uh, the season.
0: So. Yeah, and I mean, it's a great setup for what's to come. You get some great reflections on character development. You get one last great Tormund joke in there. And you also kind of reflect on, he's a genuinely good guy. He isn't lusting for her. He loves her. He, you know, loves who she is and how she is, which I thought was kind of a nice touch and kind of a capstone to that joke.
1: I guess. I felt felt it was less, because he was lusting after her, but he also had enough, right? Because the Wildlings have always had this thing about, Spear maidens and you know women are warriors just like the men are, and so I think it was more like because Tormund doesn't really know Brienne, but he is certainly attracted to her and he certainly respects her, so he's not gonna belittle her. And he saw that she seemed to make to him to make a choice, and he was just like, "All right, well, I'll just I'll deal with it then." So I think it's a little more or a little more complex than than anything simple and that's kind of what's great about it
0: yeah no i really like that um turns out pod can sing that i I find it's always weird when we find out actors have some weird talent we never knew they had
1: also did you notice that Podrick drank when the question was are you a virgin so i missed that yeah so the implication is he never actually slept with those prostitutes he probably just sang to them and that's why they refused to take payment
0: interesting i didn't notice that
1: yeah because is just a great guy
0: (laughs) he is and i mean the one takeaway from that episode i was kind of afraid like oh man all of you are going to die yeah and then we kind of get to the battle of winterfell which this is the only episode i have issues with and it's largely from a military strategy point it hurt me so much
1: well, also, the better Winterfell, yeah, as far as military strategy is concerned, is terrible, but that's kind of been a recurring thing in, in Game of Thrones, but there are not that many fantasies that actually have, like, strong you know, military tactics. Literally, the only instance I can really think of in doing that is, like, Lord of the Rings, Battle of Helm's Deep, which is an amazing example of, you know, applying military tactics to fantasy, but... Like *Battle of Bastards*, uh, okay, it's it's bad, but it's supposed to be bad because it's someone having letting their emotions override their judgment.
0: Well, the setup was all there, and you could see it. We'll just talk on this real briefly. My problems with *Battle of Winterfell* and I saw it going in was like, okay, you've got your cavalry in the center when they should be on the flanks. You've got your retreat through a narrow passage, and you have catapults in front of your defenses. This is just not going to work well. And then, of course, all hell broke loose. But if I take the military strategy out, it's a really good episode. It's got a couple flaws in that, well, it wasn't shot correctly, maybe? Well, no,
1: from what I can tell, that episode's going to look amazing on Blu-ray. But because of the nature of the episode, it just looks terrible of Blu-ray. Yeah, I've heard outside that. Of Blu-ray. So
0: we'll put that aside. Um, The plot armor was a bit too visible well here, here's the I thing mean, when like, sam is surrounded by whites i'm like they're literally on top of him
1: that bugged me i'm perfectly fine with as many characters living as they do but stop showing really them yes trouble like i don't remember how many times we saw brienne and jamie pushed up against a wall it's like okay if you want them to survive just stop showing me them in a situation where they should be dying
0: <laughs> yes I, that's my home. 100% agree, and the thing that Slagathor and I talked about is like I don't care if characters die because I think there is a misnomer that evolved about the show where characters have to die just because, when rather it's characters have to die and it serves a purpose to the plot. Every character death in the show furthered the plot somehow, and just killing one of these characters at random doesn't really do anything to the plot, just goes, oh, that was sad when they died.
1: Which is why the, you know, two big deaths that occur in Battle of Winterfell are are very much in service to the plot.
0: Yes, and those were good deaths. I think overall the episode was really good. Uh, my It's really getting nitty-gritty there near the end.
1: My uh, my main problem is with the... Because, again, I like the Battle of Winterfell. I do. I think it's solid. But most of what's going on with Arya is problematic. First of all, She's was trained as a faceless man, right? So the whole point is uh, you know, we should be able to see her use those skills. I was expecting, for instance, and I've heard a few people mention this, that when the Night King like got to Bran in the uh in the cloister where the tree is, that like Bran would suddenly get up and stab the Night King and then pull off a mask and it would be Arya. Like And yeah, sure, you might say, well wouldn't she have to kill Bran? They could find a way around that. Like it's faceless man magic it's already ridiculous so but no instead she just kind of assassins creeds her way through it i guess which is fine but even having her kill the night king is inherently weird to me because her story up to this point has had fuck all to do with him so it's like there's nothing in the history of the show that felt like it really led up to that moment it felt like it was kind of um i don't know what's the word like just cutting out the Night King's weight, emotion, or narrative weight at the knees. Because, like, we had all the foreshadowing with John, like, at Hardhome, right, where they, like, look at each other in the eyes. It's almost like, it's, it's like if you were reading Lord of the Rings, right? But the whole Sam and, like, Bilbo, or Sam and Frodo story, wasn't actually written. It was all about, like, Aragorn and Nicholas, and then suddenly, at the end, Gandalf just showed up and be like, oh, hey, these characters that weren't part of the story up to this point just went just saved the day you know yeah kind of what it felt like like again i it's cool from like a fan standpoint oh aria you know stabbed the king kill him and the, the the knife drop was pretty cool but it, at the same time it's like yeah you have nothing to do with the night king so why are you the one who gets to uh, uh, that that because just because
0: it subverted your expectation which
1: so it wasn't like it's a it's like it feels cheap that's that's it feels cheap
0: I no i agree and there's a whole discussion to be had on subverting expectations and how it's creeping into screenwriting and not in a good way i mean i can get it i mean it works but narratively i do feel it would have been way more weighted had it been john because the night king was set up as john's adversary he was created for the show to be john's adversary well so it does feel a bit weird and there are other characters too that could, hell, you could have had Tormund
1: do it and it would have had more narrative weight because Tormund has been, you know, the leader of the wildling people and he's been dealing with the Night King for, is the reason why he joined like Mansa Raider. Like, point is, there are other characters, not just Jon, but there's like a, you know, a handful of characters who have been in direct conflict uh, with the Night King for a while now. So it would have had more narrative weight to have them be the ones dealing the blow. Whereas Arya's, the extent of her conflict with the Night King
0: is at this episode. (laughs) Yeah, and let's kind of touch real briefly. Were you okay with never learning what the Night King was about or what the White Walkers were about or any of that? I'm fine with that because undead are death incarnate
1: and death is itself a unknown, right? So basically the extent of our knowledge being, hey, the children of the, you know, the forest created them and afterwards they became their own thing and because they don't fucking talk or have written history, no one gets to know what that is. That makes sense to me. And narratively I'm fine with it because of the whole, like I said, death is the unknown and it makes sense to me. So I'm fine with it.
0: I mean, it bugs me a little bit. I'm curious what's going to be in the books because I feel like there is established lore or more going to it. But in the grand scheme of, we have to get to the next plot point. Okay, so then we get the episode after that where the Baratheons are back, and I'm happy about that because I'm a Baratheon, and I like seeing Gendry get rewarded for... Uh, what has Gendry done? Well, he
1: created... He blacksmithed the fuck out of all those obsidian weapons for the you know army, and... I mean, that's his main contribution, it seems like. But also, you, you know... He's you know, been
0: a decent guy. He's been a good Baratheon, which... He also was a messenger. Uh, true. He, he earned it. I'm glad to see that, you know, Haas Baratheon was not wiped from existence. Um, well, great well, celebratory well, episode afterward.
1: also one of those things where it was like Daenerys making a good decision. Where it's like, yeah, she could be the psycho who just murders this guy because he's related to the butcher of her family. But that's not in line with you know reality so it was like good executive decision making at that point yeah
0: and then we got a great scene where you kind of could see into her head where she's seeing that everyone's all oh john's so great and john's so wonderful we love john and she's just kind of sitting there going you motherfuckers
1: yeah and it was a bit on the nose but it worked well for me
0: i liked it because sometimes you gotta be a bit on the nose and it was i thought it was a really well acted scene from her perspective it kind of shows without her saying anything, just by her face, she's having this realization of I sacrificed so much to save these people, and they won't, they they still don't love me, oh. they still don't respect.
1: By the way, I don't want to let the episode go with uh, and uh, skip over Liana Mormont. I just want to say her name because she went out like a badass, stabbing a giant white in the eye.
0: Some people awesome. were mad about that, and those people are morons.
1: Yeah, like. That was the most badass ending that Liana Mormont could have had in, in you know in the context of the show. So I don't know what you're complaining about. I thought it was awesome.
0: Mormonts go out in badass ways.
1: Anyway, I just wanted to make sure she was named. Uh, but back to episode four. I don't remember having any issues. Oh, episode four also gave us Jamie and Brienne getting together finally. I've heard a couple people um, say it doesn't really work in... Brienne's character because it's like defining her by sexuality or something like that. I don't think that's not correct. I think it really works because it's like what's happening in this case is that Jamie was the, the one who gave her knighthood. So also taking away the the maidenhood. I don't know. It made sense like thematically. I thought that Jamie would be this was the only person that made sense that Brienne would let get intimate with him like that or with her you know what i mean
0: like the best way i've heard it put is she is still a woman she is still a person she is still entitled to be sexual whether you want it to or not you cannot put your expectations on her she is still a person she is still allowed to have these feelings
1: yeah and and the point and the fact that jamie was someone that she was basically already super intimate with just not physically and then it became physical it just it made sense to me so
0: there's a great whole article about it. You know, I'm not gonna go into it. Like I said, you should read it. It was really good. And I did like that. Um, considering what happens to Jamie, I'm not 100% with the and then he left her.
1: See, I had hopes for that, that he was saying what he needed to say in order to like, get her to forget about him, but that he was gonna go, you know, kill Cersei, essentially, because Prophecy blah blah blah, but also everything that she literally sent someone to kill him. So like Anyway, Jamie's there's
0: better ways to do it And this is kind of where the episode crunch comes in is if you'd had an episode of them together Where Jamie's kind of struggling with he still loves Cersei or he doesn't feel worthy of Brienne Or if you had something to kind of ruminate on it would have fit better and this is a good example of the crunch
1: Yeah, but in general, episode four, I didn't have any real problems with. I know, oh, some people were pointing out, like, how did you get ambushed on the sea like that? And to anyone who doesn't understand naval warfare, uh, that can easily happen. Read about the Korean-Japanese War with Admiral Yi Yi, and how many times he ambushed people, even though he had no right to. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, it it can happen. It's not you
0: hide behind a mountain or an atoll or anything. It's kind of hard to see unless you're really high up. Yeah, and in
1: Daenerys' place, there were literally clouds. So, and, well. I mean,
0: I kind of have problems with that. And it's more the bigger thing is you can see the budget cuts coming in, like the Dothraki charge we didn't get to see, or killing off uh, Rhaegar Rhaegon that quickly. It bugged me, but it didn't ruin it for me. Well, I
1: also felt like that was one of those things that was what, – what's the word? Establishing stakes again. Yeah, well, but I, – I The, the stakes are artificial. Well, yeah. Here's, here's the thing about stakes. Awesome stakes are an interesting concept, I think, because I think stakes are bullshit most of the time. I think people who are like, oh, there are no stakes are – I don't know. It it really fucking bugs me most of the time. Like people say that with Marvel movies, like oh, there's no stakes because of course the hero's gonna win. It's like you're not using that term correctly. So, but what I mean in case here with Daenerys and in this scene is that by just killing one of the dragons, it establishes a hey, you can't just use your dragons to solve this problem because there's now a weapon that is effective against them. So that means that this is a new puzzle for the character to solve, and that is a steak quote-unquote you know
0: i more look at it as this is another push into her jenga tower of sanity i guess like, she, me, lost Jawa, like... she lost a bunch of people at winterfell she lost a dragon she loses Masende.
1: yeah i i totally accept that although like i said that once in episode five it then becomes okay you know these ballistas that were you know the big threat? They're actually not, because Daenerys just flies past them, and I don't know. That really pissed me off. I was like, so yeah. they were a big deal because they can kill the dragons, but once Daenerys, I guess, is focused, oh, she just dodges them all and destroys them, and it just seemed like a really cheap way to get around a problem they had set up for themselves one yeah. episode prior. And I was like, that just seems sloppy to
0: me. That's what I mean by the stakes being artificial. I mean, it was cool that she attacked out of the sun, which is a cool little bit of Game of Thrones lore for those of you that have read Blood and Fire, Wrath and Blood. I don't know, the really dense history book. I know it's in there. But yeah, no, this is kind of one like, oh, the stakes don't really matter because again, this is an effect of the crunch. But... That was freaking awesome watching her blow up the ships and the ballistas, and God, I was so done with the Greyjoy guy. Can oh, you're on? yes, what a waste the of a character. King? He was so he was in a totally different show.
1: Well, I really wish that they had kept Victorian from the uh the book, because he's a fascinating Greyjoy.
0: <laughs> yeah. Cause he just feels like he wandered in off one of the mini Pirates of the Caribbean spin-off sequels, what have you so-
1: yeah, I can hear that. So anyway, episode five, lots of controversy online. I it was the first episode that made me be like, because uh, there was a number of like again, I have no problem with Daenerys you know burning everyone. That my problems were like, okay, e- example, one of the best scenes of the the season is the Hound and Arya having a little bonding moment in the Sept as it's breaking down. That's Fine. At the same time though, Arya has literally come all this way to kill the queen, even into the city, and then the hound's just like, Hey, don't be like me, and and she's gonna die anyway. And then Arya just accepts that and leaves. I was like, that feels very forced and not in Arya's character. I feel like the Arya we'd seen up to this point would still be like, No, I'm gonna fucking be the one to drive my blade into into her chest. Like, that's the kind of decision that If you had maybe an episode of them talking about it as they led up to the moment it could work but as executed it felt really not in character and out of left field for me
0: yeah it was a beautiful speech from the hound but in context it's another example of the crunch because yeah we could have used an episode of just them riding along and uh trying to talk her out of it or her maybe seeing what this drive for vengeance does to you and how it warps you i mean again it's a beautiful speech from him and it really is moving i think largely because we've run so attached to this character we originally hated but we really could have used more i agree and do you think about
1: uh, oh i was gonna say the me and uh my lady especially were really pissed off about the horse at the end it's like why is this horse just here? If the whole town's on fire, this horse should be running around. And then, spoiler, but in the last episode, when Arya shows up for the first scene, it's just gone. There's no horse. So what the fuck was with the horse at the end of episode five? It just
0: See, I thought they were going in a hole and there appeared a uh, pale horse and on its right and on its back was the Rider of Death Biblical reference. But no, it just kinda doesn't go anywhere. So I don't know what that was about.
1: Yeah, it's like that could have been something if you followed up on it in the next episode, but you didn't, so I don't know what it was supposed to be. Anyway.
0: So circle back real quick to Clagain Bowl. What'd you think of that?
1: It's fine. Yeah. I was never I was never big on the Clob Bowl hype like everyone else though. So I was like it's one of those things where there are not actually that many fights in Game of Thrones where the choreography is like stellar. You know, the the only a handful like uh, like the fight with Sir Arthur Dane, The Sword of the Morning, that one was actually really well done. But for the most part, you know, fights are about the emotions attached to them, right? So Clagane Bowl is not about the choreography, which itself was all right. It wasn't great. It wasn't bad either. But it's about the emotions at play. And what are the emotions at play? Uh, well, two brothers who kind of always hated each other, finally having their like, all right, only one of us is making it out of this. And that was... It was good enough. Like seeing the the Hound finally try to put all of his negative feelings with the Mountain that have really been there since the Hounds. I think first mentioned. The first mention of it was I think episode five or no even less. It was like episode three. It was during the yeah because
0: they had the tournament and they get a big fight. And no, I remarked to are like this is really cool. But I feel bad for, you know, Half-Thor, the guy that plays the mountain. He can't move very fast. He's just this big, monstrous bodybuilder. He's got limited range, so they kind of had to ride around that. But they also kind of ride around that. It's like, you know what? I can't eat you with my sword, but I can hit you with my hands. And if I got you, I'm going to pop your eyes like grapes.
1: Yeah, which again, reference to the the one moment that most fans are going to hate the mountain the most for, which was what happened with Oberon. That fight yeah. was good. So. I
0: thought it was, it was just kind of like, it was a couple really cool callbacks, and then of course, as he's trying to kill the mountain, and we're all shouting, go for the head, go for the head, and he goes for the head, and it still doesn't do anything, and there's a collective gasp, of, ah, oh, hell, well, hmm, and the only way being able to defeat him is by throwing him into the fire, you know, kind of facing his ultimate fear.
1: Yeah, so Cleganebowl was pretty much what I wanted from Cleganebowl, it was good.
0: Alright, now let's talk about, well, circle back to rather the big elephant in the room that being Daenerys murdering the men, the women, the children, everybody.
1: Yeah. I would have liked again, another episode to bring her to that point before, because it, it, I, I'm fine with the decision because like they had kind of, you know, throughout, well, Tyrion points it out in the next episode because so many people were fucking being, you know, dicks about it. It's like, let's have the most popular character just talk to the camera about why this makes sense. But It does make sense, but I still would have liked some more dialogue to to build up to the the moment, the decision, you know?
0: Well, here's the thing, because I gave this a lot of thought. Firstly, I referenced back and mocked all the people that were bitching about, why does she care about the civilians? This is a medieval siege. No one cares about civilians. Follow me like, oh my God, all the civilians, how could she? So that was a funny one. The other one, and I looked at this both in context of the universe and in historical context. Genghis Khan was notorious for going to a sting, going, hey, surrender. If you don't, I'm going to murder every one of you. And that was the simple terms. So historically, there's basis. You also have the, uh, hold on, in world context of the same thing happened when Robert took the city. It was a bloody, horrible affair. And then you look at the fact that Daenerys has spent a good chunk of her time with the Dothraki. And what do the Dothraki do when they take a city? Burn it to the ground. So this whole calling her the Mad Queen and saying this is out of left field kind of rings hollow to me. And I know this says a lot about my personality, but this was the one I was fully on board with her. I'm like, all right, this is how you do it. They won't give, they don't want to surrender. They don't want to love you. Fine, make them fear
1: you. I will say that Jon it's one of those, I do like the whole concept of, doing the right thing fucks you even though you know it's dangerous but it's the right thing it's very edard stark of him where it's like i have to tell my you know my sisters because and my brother they're my family and daenerys is like this this and this is going to happen and oh guess what it did
0: (laughs) yeah no this is i think a great point because their characters are keeping true to who they are Jon Snow may not be the son of uh, Ned Stark, but he has 100% been molded and shaped and affected by Ned Stark. That honorable to the death. Yeah, mentality. and this is
1: literally a case of I'm going to do the right thing even though the right thing causes a lot of problems and it could arguably creates the sequence of events that fucks the whole, you know, house of cards. <laughs>
0: Yeah, so you know, after this episode I was all team Daenerys and I felt kind of weird like everyone's like oh my god she's the mad queen I'm like I don't see this as madness this is both in character in universe and in history and you know what no one's gonna challenge her rule at this point You know I will
1: say that I while I think the whole burning down the whole city is still really fucked up, I do agree that I didn't feel like she was mad yet, because there's a difference between madness and she was really upset in the moment. Westeros had been nothing but essentially shit to her since she landed. Cersei pushed her over the edge and she had the power of riding on a dragon. Like there's, there's a line. I don't, it's different for each person, obviously, but Mad Queen is literally in the next episode. I didn't feel like she hit Mad Queen until she started saying, yeah, we're going to cleanse the world essentially and kill everyone in our way. It's like, okay, now you're mad. (laughs)
0: I was even more on board. I'm like, okay, let's go take over the world. I'm not seeing the problem here.
1: Yeah, but you have a God complex, so you got to admit that's from no, the I know world this was
0: 100% playing into it because this big speech of, and we're going to go forth, and we're going to conquer the world, and we're going to do all this stuff. I was like, oh, man, let's do this. Wait a second. This is supposed to be bad. But I'm on board.
1: Yeah, so this means we can put you in the, uh, what do we call it, the megalomaniac corner?
0: So Probably. And that was kind of my problem, was like, you know, everyone's saying, well, we have to get rid of Daenerys, you know, she's gone crazy, and I'm going, but, 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 no! She wants to go out and conquer the world. She's not doing anything god-awful. She's not burning people alive after this. Well, okay, there was the slaughter after the surrender, but still, this is all in historical military context of what happens after a siege. It's not like I'm seeing anything that made me turn, turn against her. So I kind of felt on the outs with that one. I know most people are like, oh my god, she has gone mad. We do need to kill her.
1: Well, I I would say that my feeling wasn't like she's gone mad We need to kill her. My feeling was... She has crossed a line and now she's dangerous to you know a lot of people. so we need to put her out of the picture. And John, again, is this concept of doing the right thing even though he doesn't want to, right. And so the whole like great scene of him and Tyrion talking in the room is about Tyrion trying to convince him of what is the right thing. And of course, quote-unquote right thing is entirely based on arbitrary lines and what your perspective is and what you value and so that's why Tyrion's like hey here's my perspective here's what I value here's why you should feel the same way and in the end he manages to convince Jon meaning that Tyrion used his oratory skills in the last episode to completely upend the entire structure of Westeros so like, for everyone who's been like, yeah, Tyrion's basically been an idiot for two seasons. Correct, but here he is, like in the last episode, you know, being the ultimate string puller, so.
0: I think people got way too caught up in Tyrion being infallible. Like, all those complaints, like, oh, he's dumb now. It's like, no, he made a mistake. He got beat. That's okay. Characters can make mistakes. Characters can fail. That's yeah, but it he fails a character.
1: lot. A lot of times, I agree
0: there was a bit too many, but I still feel like a lot of that people's reaction to it was Tyrion is the smartest and should always be the smartest and should never be tricked or beat. And part of that, a lot of that was narrative nudging like, okay, Daenerys is here to conquer the seven kingdoms. How can we put this on ice for a season? Okay, let's have, you know, Tyrion get beat at every corner.
1: By the way, while talking with the, the Lannisters, Cersei and Jamie's final death, I was like, I I have a big problem with when th- there's a concept that I was talking with Ragno, uh, snailboat captain about, call where it's agency. Right? We don't like seeing things happen to people. We like seeing things done to people, and the difference is is agency. So, like, they literally died to falling rocks which is kind of shitty so like i would have preferred a much more direct like i would have preferred example and again this is bullshit of you know judge the show you have not to show you want i i know but just indulge me for a second here the ending i would have loved to see for jamie that wouldn't have been you know backslide would be keep the euron fight if anything because having euron go out thinking that he killed jamie lannister is kind of Perfect for him, as much of a, you know, uninteresting character as he is. But that way you keep Jamie stabbed. He comes in. He, you have whatever conversation between him and Cersei. He strangles her to death. You could even have it be so, like, it's better th- in his mind that he do this than Daenerys get his hands on her and he knows he's dying. So, like, he strangles her and then he bleeds out and then they get buried. Then the deaths are directly from agency and choice as opposed to just rocks fell on them you know what yeah, i mean Yeah,
0: it's kind of well it's kind of an ignominious death for two characters we've been following from the very beginning one of which we really truly have come to loathe, and yeah. it just felt kind of boring i mean i don't even need particularly need for Jamie to kill Cersei. I think, narratively, it would have made sense. I thought it was interesting that they gave the death that we all predicted for, you know, Jamie and Cersei to Jon and Daenerys, more on that later. But yeah, Falling Rocks, this is like, oh, this is kind of meh. I wanted Cersei in full Mad Queen mode, but they wanted that to be Daenerys, so I don't know what they could have done that I would have been, that would have been better. I don't, I'm just, I'm not happy with it. Anyway, I'm, well, again,
1: that's a decision that, like, at the end of the day, I'm fine with how they went out. I just think it would have been better if their deaths were from some were from agency as opposed to non agency.
0: Yeah. All right. So then let's move into the last little bit. And we'll briefly talk about how John and Daenerys got the death we all thought was going to go to uh Cersei
1: and Jamie. I do think that like Kit Harrington was kicking in the dick, which is a positive statement. I'm saying that he was acting his ass off in that scene oh, yeah. in throne ruin. And I thought they both it was were really good.
0: And I mean, you felt bad. And like I said, it was this great moment of acting for both of them. And I really do love that this is the moment we all thought was going to go to Cersei and Jamie, but we always thought Cersei was going to be the Mad Queen. Um, I was kind of bummed that Daenerys died because I'd really gotten on her team. But again, I understand the purpose well, in of that, that moment.
1: Especially in that moment, because earlier when we had her speaking to the army, that's one thing, right? You got to show a certain face to your military, right? You got to be the confident conqueror. We'd seen her do that kind of shit beforehand, but when it was just her and John, there was a complete and utter for lack of a better term certainty in what she was saying in her eyes, there was no hint of any sort of hesitation or regret or any negative feelings about what she done, which is not, I'm not saying she has to have that. I'm saying that like, like, if she's Misa, which is one of her names, right? The, the breaker of chains, there should be a certain level of, of care. So like I'm on board with the decision necessarily, but there should be like a, this is what's necessary to what she's saying. Instead. It was more like just the, yes, I am correct. And that's why I was like, at that point, I felt like mad queen was apt because she was so utterly confident in her rightness and that's that's zealot she was a zealot at that point and i could, you know, you could yeah, see it in her face and
0: i know this probably says more about me than i'd prefer but i view it as surety of purpose she knows what she wants she knows how she's going to do it and she's 100 confident in her ability to achieve that goal and again i was kind of rooting for her, but you know it goes the way it goes i was kind of convinced there for a second that john was going to get burned alive and my brain was going is he going to walk out of the fire like Daenerys did or is that a purebred Targaryen thing? Uh
1: yeah, I guess so because we he's not he only is half-bred. I figured he'd probably be fireproof, but again, we we didn't actually get to see. It. It's funny we know he's not fireproof in the book because his hand gets burnt the fuck out of. So He gets
0: burned in the show too, so no, he's not fireproof.
1: Yeah, there we go. It's so a purebred now,
0: Targaryen thing. Yeah. And then, you know, Drogon destroys the chair. As a very, very strong, do you understand what we're going here, going for here, folks? Well, also Message. to anyone,
1: to anyone who's saying like, "Oh, why is you know the dragon burning the chair?" That seems like a very intelligent thing. It's it's a fucking dragon. Well, but dragons in mythology and stories tend to be as intelligent, if not more intelligent, than humans. So just because Drogon doesn't speak, it doesn't mean he doesn't probably understand very well what's going on around him.
0: There's also been examples, both in the books and in the shows, of a semi-empathic connection between Daenerys and her dragons.
1: Which also then extends to Jon and the dragon, hence why, you know, they like him.
0: Yeah, so it's a dumb nitpick at this point. So then let's kind of circle around to the big thing at the end that is... Okay, okay, let let me
1: rant here just a little bit. So... You know they they come they come together right. They're like, all right, we're gonna elect a king, and that's how we break the system. I'm fine with that. I think that's actually kind of a clever way of, of dealing with it. It's like, all right, we're basically dueling away with for now with a generational monarchy, and we're creating essentially a, an oligarchy with a figurehead. That's pretty much what Tyrion says. He's like, the king should be or the the ruler should be someone with a good story that the people like, while the you know, the council and us lords are actually doing the ruling. So it's not a huge shift, but it is still a, a reasonable shift, but choosing brand has problems for a number of reasons. Like one, the guy's so disconnected from humanity that even as a figurehead, he doesn't work because he has no connection to the people. How can he be a good, uh, a good figurehead when he doesn't fucking care because he's also being the 3 Eye raven means he's like got a station that's already higher than being a king and so there's like no reason i feel like he's already above this so he shouldn't be involved in it to begin with and okay now obviously because it's the song of fire and ice me and the people i talked to were like yeah john should be on the throne at the end because he is fire and ice and that's why the title makes sense but if Every decision up to this point still happens, so John is off the table. I can accept that, but we get to the everyone votes, right? And we we looked at everyone that was available, and it should have been Sansa. It should have been. Like, if you asked me five years ago, or if you if you told me five years ago I was going to be like, Sansa should be on the Iron Throne, I would have been like, you're fucking insane. But at this point, she is literally the best option. She is, first of all, she's the only option that will keep it to be the Seven Kingdoms, because by putting her in the Iron Throne, the North will follow. And you can tell that with Sansa, she'll probably be like, give the North the option to stay independent once she's on the throne, but the North's going to follow her, because she's Ned Stark's trueborn daughter. She's trained in, you know, matters of state by like Baelish and, you know, all these people. She lived she her formative years were in King's Landing, so she has a connection to the place specifically, so she won't feel like pulled away to the north. Uh, you know, it's like, oh, also they make Brienne uh, the head of the Kingsguard, which means that she has to, as they currently establish it, she has to break her oath to protect Sansa because she leaves and goes to King's Landing, which doesn't make any fucking sense because Brienne is our, you know, center of chivalry. But if you have Sansa be the queen, then it totally makes sense that Brienne becomes the the leader of the the now the Queen's Guard. So that would be more consistent. There's like. All these things just these they pile on each other, where it's like Sansa is the ultimate choice. Also, the you might say like, well, you know, it's still old medieval time, and they want to be kings and not queens. Except that they literally had a queen for like the last year. They had two queens. Yeah, so they've been laying down the groundwork even for the idea of just having a single queen ruler, right? Like it just it would make so much more sense, be so much more consistent. Still get in. Also, having her choose Tyrion as the hand would also make sense because she knows what Tyrion is capable of. She respects him. She knows how smart he is. Whereas Bran doing it just feels like uh, a fan service. I have no actual connection to you, but of course you got to be king's hand because the audience out there wants to be king's hand. But if you have Sansa do it, it makes sense in character because. Sansa knows Tyrion, has an emotional connection to Tyrion, and, and respects it. Like, there are so many reasons why Sansa is the logical choice both in universe and from a narrative construction like you're writing it so i have i just i want to know like they had to have thought about it so why didn't they go with that
0: my money says this is the ending that happens in the book and they didn't want to go away from the book but the problem is i think sansa has developed to be a different character than she will be in the book and is better a better fit in this version of the story and this kind of comes down to maybe they're afraid of changing the ending but I think that Sansa would have been the better ending overall. Because, exactly, you're right. Bran, when he was announced, like, why? He doesn't care. He has no connection. He's so above it all. He's, I mean, people are like, oh, well, you know, he'll be this passionate. We've had two very passionate kings. You still need a level of passion. It's just, no, I don't like it. it and also, we know, it, but I we don't know like
1: Sansa it. does care because she's gone on at length about the the plights of her people in the in the north. So, you know that she'd bring that same kind of care about people in general. But also, also, you know that the idea right now, that the theme comes out... Because, like, what is, what is the, the fucking phrase of Game of Thrones? When you play the Game of Thrones, you win or you die. Except at the end, the person who won the Game of Thrones never played the Game of Thrones. Which is... That's a weird fucking set of... Whereas, again, Sansa learned the game she she is a master at the game she is a natural follow-up after what went down with cersei but without a lot of her negative baggage because she's seen what kind of negative shit those kind of rulers and people in charge do hence why she cares about her people it would have been so much more proper to have fucking and you could leave bran to be Fucking in charge of Winterfell in because he'd basically be get to stay in the north, essentially, and do his three-eyed Raven thing while being a figurehead. Like, let Arya go off be a pirate. That's brilliant. Let John go off beyond the wall. That's fine. That's good. But yeah, Sansa should be in the fucking throne. And then it would still be the seven kingdoms. And uh I'm just, it's the one literally, it's the only decision in season eight that I'm like, there was such an obviously better choice for what you constructed that it baffles me that they didn't go with it
0: yeah no i mean after the season ended i sat down and i thought to myself if we take bran out of the story like bran dies what changes in the overall story arc
1: yeah no if you go back to the entire series and took out every single bran scene okay
0: three two one
1: if you took out every single bran scene in the series it really wouldn't change anything like the only bran scene that ever had any emotional weight was Hodor's death, and yes, I love that scene, great scene. But brand scenes have always been the weakness of Game of Thrones, or at least the weakest scenes, except for like Dorne. But since Dorne was really contained in like two seasons, while meanwhile brand has been there the entire show, it's more of you know a glaring thing, you know.
0: Yeah, no, this one hundred percent feels like a book ending that i'm sure will have a much bigger thing i'm convinced the three-eyed raven is going to actually be explained more the night king all of this is going to be in the books and we'll have some big resonant meaning but in the show brand does not matter as axel said sansa is 100 the clear choice
1: yeah and it's it's so clear to me that it that's why it's like baffling that's why i'm super upset about it and there are other like little things like okay sam why is Sam Archmaster? He's not even yeah. a full-fledged Also, unlike John, who died, like Sam's oath to the Night's Watch is still in effect. So, also, yeah, you're sending John back to the Night's Watch. Why don't you send Sam? Because Sam... His oath's still in effect. He went off to try to become a maester. The only reason he left Old Town is because the Old Town maesters didn't believe him about the Night's Watch. Or about the, sorry, the Night King. And he was like, I don't have time for your bullshit, so I'm going to steal these books and go. But now that the Night King is dead, the the obvious thing to do, Sam is, goes back to Old Town, finishes forging his fucking chains so that he can go back to the, the Night's Watch and continue to be the maester. There, so why is he suddenly Archmaster when he doesn't even have a chain? Like, okay, anyway, to me, that's like obvious, but it's it's not as upsetting to me as like the brand choice. But it's just an example. The brand
0: the- one is just it's gonna be one of those things that when you go back and rewatch this series, you're going to know this motherfucker is going to be king. Okay, like everything else, you know, Sam becomes the Archmaster. Okay. It's not. Daenerys burns the city. Meh, okay, Bran becomes the king. Is always going to be one of those ones going. Okay, where does this? Where's the payout? Where's the setup for this?
1: And and like I, I said earlier too, it's like now with Bran the king, you also fucked over Brienne because it's like, all right. Brienne should have gone back with Sansa to the north then if you're gonna have that, because that's the oath she
0: took. I will say that Sansa released her from her oath. That is the only way that makes sense for me.
1: Which to me doesn't make sense at all because Sansa's, first of all, not the type, because Brienne's like the only person that she can really trust in her she literally trusts her with her life. Brienne's also the kind of person who holds onto those oaths like fucking crazy because she's literally our pinnacle of uh, chivalry. So literally they did, it, they did it because us as fans, right? She's the first female knight. So to have her become the the head of the King's Guard, the highest seat of a knight is like true poetic justice and is great fan service. So it's like, oh, obviously we want to put her there for those reasons. So it's like, all right, you're going to do that anyway. Then the fact that it's just an extra point in, this is why it makes sense for Sansa to be queen, but you don't do that, then just fucks her over. And it just, yeah, it just dicks no, with Brienne's character, and that pisses me. Off.
0: It doesn't bug me as much, mainly because I just I like that Brienne became leader of the King's Guard. That was nice. It would have been better had Sansa been queen, but we're not going to keep beating on that one. I'm sorry. Let's answer right, the last big question.
1: Yeah, let me, let me finish up then by saying, like, as you can tell, uh, I I am of the opinion, generally speaking, like I'm really pissed off at all these people that are like, oh, uh, I love you or you shared one of those memes that I really love where it was like Aria talking saying a lot, a lot of people are want to sign a petition to redo season eight. And it cuts to the hound going lots of cunts, right? Yes. Like, I, I love that. And I agree. Like the, don't be, you know, whiny and like that. And again, the same thing here where it's like, yes, I am super fucking upset about brand getting chosen because it's stupid. And there's a clear, more obvious choice, but it's the way the show went. I, can look at it and be like, well, okay, I the ending still happened and I'm not going to get my knickers in a twist over the fucking thing beyond this little rant I'm giving here. So my point of saying this is like, yes, I am this upset and I still think the people who are signing petitions and stuff are, are bullshit.
0: Well, I think we both recognize that this is something we could never do in a million years with all the money in the world like we're not going we're not going to be able to produce a show to this quality and this is the last thing i want to get to is a lot of questions does the ending ruin or taint your feelings for the show overall for oh, me fuck no. no i still love game of thrones this has become one of my pillars of nerddom i want to learn more i want to play around in this world i really enjoy it and yeah, while it was are... a
1: spin off with uh, with pirate aria that's going to be
0: awesome Oh yeah, no, there's a bunch of things. I want to go back in time. I want to go forward in time. I still love this universe and As rocky as these last two seasons may have been, I am still on board. I will still enjoy watching this show. I will still enjoy talking about this show with people. This is not like How I Met Your Mother, where the ending ripples back and kind of taints the rest of it for me. It is still a solid, incredible show.
1: See, for me, right, I'm a fan of Dexter. There is not a show I can think of with a more infuriating ending than Dexter, but I can still watch five seasons of it and have a, a good experience with someone so it's like if I can do that, if I can, if I can still find that show not tainted by three absolutely atrocious ending seasons, then I can survive a middling season of Game of Thrones for an ending, not even terrible, just you know middling.
0: And I think a lot of people have put it bad, best. Even with the current way the show ended, it is still ten times better than so much other stuff on TV
1: yeah exactly damn right i mean game of thrones at its worst generally is still better than 80 percent of other tv so
0: all right well those are our thoughts on game of thrones we love it we stand by it and we look forward to your constructive criticisms of it
1: yeah but uh don't don't try to get us on any of those like um anti D &D things because we're not we just don't agree with that, and, you know. Writing—you're not the writer. It's uh, writing is hard.
0: <laughs> it is incredibly hard, and I'm really looking forward to what these two do with the Star Wars universe. I'm hoping
1: they bring um, the character interaction elements of Game of Thrones to, to Star Wars very well, but that's a conversation for another time.
0: All right, let's do our suggestions of the week real quick.
1: Okay, mine has fuck all to do with anything we're talking about see normally when we do these suggestions of the week they're supposed to be just things to look at that we've been doing recently and some weeks it's more difficult because it's like well what have i been doing i've been doing fuck all and this week's one of those weeks for me so i'm just going to say that what i've mostly been doing this week is replaying borderlands 2 because i don't i don't know the the gameplay footage for Borderlands three came out and I suddenly had an no urge to go back and replay Borderlands two. So it's a, it, it's my suggestion, which is kind of weird. Cause it's an old game and anyone who's going to play it probably has already played it. So I don't know what to say other than like, it's a fun, really funny shooting RPG. And if you haven't played it for some reason, but are aware of it, and it gets like if it goes on sale grab that shit because borderlands 2 specifically is fun as hell and it's what i've been doing recently
0: and i'd say it still holds
1: up i i think it does a lot more than the pre-sequel or borderlands 1 like borderlands 2 is a legitimately amazing game My, my buddy eric when i met him he hadn't played video games in 20 years and i just started trying to explain to him borderlands 2 and then It got him into it and got him back into video games entirely. It's one of the foundations of our friendship. I think Handsome Jack is probably in the top five of greatest video game villains, like, period of all time. And I love that the game is really fun and also has a really good story and is hilarious, full of references, but also moments that made me actually tear up. Anyway, I could do a whole episode probably on my feelings about Borderlands. Like, it's one of those games that's a really big deal for me. And, yeah, just saying like that that's my suggestion of the week
0: all right well mine is going to be kind of surprising for those of you that know me or maybe not i don't know i found myself surprised by it and that is a uh, netflix original series tuca and birdie
1: okay i have now watched the first two episodes and one thing i want to say that show is surreal as hell now oh. lisa uh hannah hannahlette i don't know how to say her last name but who's, like, the main character and concept, like, designer, I guess, for this, and Bojack Horseman. She's always been a good surrealist artist. You can see that in Bojack's designs. But I feel like in Bojack, she was at least somewhat constrained. Whereas it seems to me in Luca and Birdie, she is in full force. Because the show is surreal as hell and every... Like, there's a moment in episode two where a character says something it's just one thing but it's basically sexual harassment and then the other character's boob anthropomorphizes pops off and is like I'm done and leaves and i was sitting there watching it with my jaw just open like did that just fucking happen
0: yeah no that's why this surprised me that i liked it so much because i'm typically not a big surrealist guy i kind of like my stuff a bit more grounded but Slagathor and I binged through this and we both loved it. And she's not a fan of Bojack Horseman, but she loves Tuca and Birdie. And it does, it's got a lot of the same humor as Bojack, but it's more through a female filter, which is very powerful. It's also a
1: lot less grounded. Like one of the things oh, I yeah, love about it's Bojack. It's way
0: more surreal. That,
1: yeah, like Bojack has surreality, but its drama is grounded in very human, realistic things. Duke and Birdie is, from what I can tell, grounded in general sitcom tropes, but taken to this crazy, surreal level that is what makes it interesting. But it's just, it's out there, man.
0: <laughs> now, much like BoJack Horseman, near the end of the season, there is a big dramatic reveal that just makes you go, oh, there it is, and now I don't quite know how to feel because oof. Uh, It's freaking hilarious. It's got uh, Tiffany Haddish and Ali Wong as the two characters. Uh, It's freaking hilarious. It is very weird, and there is an uncomfortable amount of anthropomorphized nudity. Like, a lot.
1: Yeah, in episode one, there's a a plant woman. And I say plant woman, I don't mean like Poison Ivy where it's, oh, it's a sexy green woman. I mean, it's a green body of a woman with literal leaves as a head. There's no face. It's just leaves. But she takes off her shirt. She's got boobs.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of that. It's a really interesting show. It's freaking hilarious. I can't wait for season two. I do
1: like that the show is very, from what I can tell, so far, again, I've only seen two episodes, but... The show is extremely feminine, but in the best. Okay. I, it's, it's a weird statement to say that because it's like, I, I like it. I like that aspect of it, that the show seems to be coming from a very female perspective in a very interesting way. Cause I'm a male. So it's like, I like seeing things I get to explore perspectives that I don't, you know, have already because it's you know it, that's what it is it's exploration. It's being exposed to something new, and it's uh, a different you know, amazing shit. Doesn't feel like other things I've watched because of that. You know, so surrealist and in and like this animals and one thing about Tukar Birdie that really surprises me though is that I there are some times where I feel like it might be too animated. Like everything is very constantly in motion, and it it kind of gets on my eyes sometimes like it kind of (laughs) hurts.
0: I can understand that, but I love some of the background humor going on. So I will just say this. If you like Bojack Horseman, you need to watch Tuca and Bird. It is the same, but vastly different at the same time.
1: Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. It does. It has that same feel. It feels like the most wacky portions of Bojack, like kind of concentrated, like, it's the same style, but it's just amped up. Like I said, it feels like it's less constrained. And that can be problematic or, you know, amazing for you, depending on who you are. But at least give it a shot, so.
0: All right. Well, as always, thank you for listening. Be sure to like, share, subscribe. Do all the things, because that is how this show grows and reaches new audiences.
1: And I'm supposed to, you know, support – or push whatever platform you're not listening to us on. So whichever platform you are listening to us on, hey, thanks. Right now we're mostly on a YouTube and SoundCloud. I mean, I think we're exclusively on YouTube and SoundCloud, but we've been looking into a few others like Podbean. I don't know where we are on that because all handles more of the behind the scenes stuff than I do. But if there's any platform that you use, that's right, you, the audience, if you use that you want us on, that would be easier for you, like, you now, something that, you'll have all your other podcasts on, let us know what it is so we can look into it. Like we looked in Libsyn, but it's not right for us at this moment. But maybe when we have you know further down the road and we have more things going on. But the point is, let us know. We don't we don't know all the platforms, so give us ideas.
0: Market research is appreciated. As always, this has been Lord Commander o- and his Shield brother, Axel Wright. Be sure to tune in next time and as always, stay on our